Hello and you are very welcome along to another RTE Rugby podcast as we head into round two of the Guinness Six Nations Championship after what was a pretty brilliant opening weekend, particularly for Ireland, 34-10 winners against Wales. We also had another Scottish Calcutta Cup, Calcutta Cup success, 28-24 winners against England at Twickenham. And Italy running France all the way, beaten just about in the end, 29 points to 24 uh, having had a line out about five ten meters short of the French line in the final minute, but France hold on, uh, get a bonus point win, and they bring that with them to Dublin this weekend, where they're going to be taking on Ireland at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. Delighted to be joined by Bernard Jackman and Sean Cronin for uh, this week's RT Rugby podcast, fellas. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks. I might just start in in broad terms before we even get into the matches specifically, Sean, but. Overall thoughts on round one, three absolutely brilliant games, even even the one in Cardiff, which was probably the worst of the three. But, you know, we still got we got to see Ireland in full flight in the opening half of that game. And in fairness to Wales, even though they didn't really bring it too close on the scoreboard, there was a bit of intensity. There was a, a good bit of a fight back in that third quarter that made it at the very least a, a decent game to watch. But overall, it was it was a pretty brilliant opening weekend. Yeah, no, it was um, three, three really, really good games. I think first time in in the Six Nations history, anyway, that um, you had three away wins in one weekend. So, um, but uh, yeah, like you said, the Ireland, uh, the Wales Ireland game. Um, you know, Ireland came steaming out the gate, and I suppose Wales had to show some pride and passion in that second half, and I suppose towards the end of the first half as well. You know, could it could have ran up to you know tipping fifty points if they if the game had continued the way it was going in the first 20, 25, 30 minutes. So, um, and then England and Scotland was a cracker again, um, kind of following on from the last few years that they've had really, really good games. Um, so that was a great game to watch as well. Some unbelievable individual scores and team scores in that game. And then on Sunday, uh, like you said, Italy were, you know, pushed France all the way. Um, wasn't too impressed with France, to be honest. Um, and I think if Italy had more of a extra structure uh, and maybe a nine that could box kick the ball, um, they might have, you know, seen off France or a bit more clinical as well in the twenty-two. So three really, really good games, such a great start to such a great competition. Um, for myself, with great memories going with my father to my first ever game, uh, England against Ireland. We got hammered in the old Lansdowne Road, and I'm bringing my own two boys to the game this weekend. So that'll be their first Six Nations game. So it's great. Well, hopefully it's not a hammering. But Birch, um, like as Sean said there, I mean, talk about an understatement with Italy and the exit strategies and and box kicking. But just in general, like we did get great excitement. And I'm I'm just curious before we specifically get into the games, would any of any opinions you might have had on how the tournament was going to shape up? Have they been changed ever so slightly on the on the opening weekend? Look, it obviously wasn't impressive by France at all. Um and Italy to be Italy obviously well, for me, they performed better than I probably expected. Uh, I kind of didn't give them credit for that win against Australia, maybe, or Wales last year because, well, Wales are poor and, and Australia did turn the team a little bit. Um, but that was that was impressive. But they need halfbacks. I mean, even at the end, uh, Tommaso Allen, you know, by not putting that closer to the, to the mm-hmm. try line, he just gives France a psychological boost. Um, they need, yeah, they need nine to ten. Garbisi, obviously, um, we play ten when he when he's fit, but you know, and that 
ambition to play, I mean, is great and we want to see Italy play, but some of their playing at 22 just got them into trouble. Um, and I'm sure Kieran Carley will will fix that this week. Um England, I'm dis- I was disappointed with England, you know. Um I thought I didn't expect England's attack to be top notch, but I thought they would be better at the things that Bortwick can easily improve, which is effectively that kick chase and kicking game, and and their kick chase was 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 very poor. So a bit of a a bit of a blip for them, or or a bad start for them. Um, and it's interesting, you know, he's added now two more members of the Leicester coaching staff in Wigglesworth and Alan Waters, and um, you know, they're coming in after the Six Nations. So it may be a while before England get up to speed. And then I suppose I'm disappointed with Wales. Um, look at. The foundations of Wales are are are, um, are built on sand, and there's only so much Catholic can do. But I would have thought he would have got an emotional response, you know, first game up. And with older players, they they can pull a, a performance out of the bag, and they didn't at all. Okay, they rallied a bit in the third quarter, but that first first half for them was 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 desperately bad, considering you know that there's been a change of coach and they'd come on the back of obviously losing to Georgia and losing to Italy last year and Ireland comes to town who they don't really fear usually. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think there has, you know, a couple, a couple of teams have, have definitely surprised me, but I wouldn't write off France. I think France historically have been poor against Italy. Um, they did enough to win. And I actually think it, it's bad for us the way they played um, and how easy it's going to be for them to have their heads on this week. Um, not saying we don't think we'll beat them, but I just think France are are still, you know, it's between us and France as far as I'm concerned. Right, that sets it up nicely for something I'm going to ask a, a little bit later on. But I'll get into Wales and Ireland first up. So Ireland 34-10 winners, four try bonus point win for Ireland, 27-3 in front at half time as well. When it kind of felt the game was all but done, Wales did rally in the third quarter. Ireland finished it off just after the 70 minute mark. Van der Fleer scoring the bonus point try and Sean. So. When I was watching it in the stadium, particularly that third quarter, it, I felt I didn't feel particularly comfortable throughout that thir- that third quarter. Even though Ireland had a what twenty seven points to ten buffer for for a lot of that, on a second viewing, when I got back home on on Sunday and, and rewatched on on Monday, it didn't really look like Ireland were actually under any enormous pressure aside from the the territory and possession that Wales had, but when it came. When it came close to the Irish line, they always just seemed to be pretty comfortable with what they were doing defensively. Yeah, I think from a psychological point of view, it's just, I suppose, going that far up. And did we take the foot off the pedal a small bit? Discipline seemed to wane as well. Um, It was kind of flipped from really the first 20 minutes where I think it was eight eight penalties to one in our favour. I know you spoke about the territory, but even the opening couple of minutes where, you know, we, Ireland received a box kick and we worked it into the middle and we put a lovely kick in behind and Liam Williams, he tries to run it out, just, you know, he just dot it down, take your goal line kick and get your line set again to go and defend. I just thought it was, you know, a bit all over the place from Wales, um, which gave Ireland energy, um, early scores. Um, but again, look, building into that third quarter, I think combination then of our discipline just gone out the window. Um but still being comfortable, uh, you know, and I, I, Wales did kind of blow a couple of chances. Andrew Porter got a lovely tackle underneath um, Jack Morgan. Um, so look, you know, maybe if we concede another try there and they're back in the game and the crowd's getting behind them. So 
I think it's really good from an Irish point of view because it wasn't the perfect, perfect performance. And they know the challenge that lies ahead this week. So it'll keep lads nicely grounded in terms of attacking this week well and um, going after France at home. Yeah. And Birch, we'll talk now about that, just that opening 15 minutes, uh, opening two minutes, to be honest, as well, leading up to Caelan Darris's try. Sean kind of mentioned it there, that the sequence of play where Wales send a kick out to Ireland. Straight away, Ireland look to try find find the edge. Stuart McCloskey gets a lovely pass out to James Lowe on the wing. Nice kick down the down the touchline. Really good kick chase from James Lowe and Gary Ringrose. Liam Williams kind of dawdles on it a little bit, rushes his clearance kick, and Ireland have a line out pretty deep inside the Welsh twenty two. I mean that passage of play ultimately is is essentially as good as winning a penalty for Ireland, and it's down to just everybody doing their jobs absolutely perfectly. And setting up what was a try in the end after just two minutes. Yeah, and look, teams teams have um, plans and policies to try and get early field position. So, you know, obviously, if you receive the kickoff, it's a lot harder. But um, you know that play to waste and kick on the edge um, is, is is a very effective play in Ireland. Ireland do it a lot. Um, they, they, they do it a lot. Their kick chase is very good. But Wales, I, I totally agree with Sean. Wales just need to take their medicine there. Like the last thing you want to do is give Ireland. Um and, and attacking line out because so much of our go forward and, and scores come from that. They would have been better off actually, you know, if you had to take contact and, and play a phase and eventually maybe box kick there. You just don't want to give Ireland a, a line out in the twenty two. Um, but obviously the preferred option was to take the goal line drop out. And it just I agree it showed how maybe frazzled they were. Obviously Liam Williams was a late replacement for Lee Halfpenny. Um, obviously it's a new coaching team. Maybe there's mixed messages um, in terms of you know what what they want to do or how they want to defend, um, and even I thought it was too much space in that backfield as well. Um, it was too easy for James Lowe to find good grass. So uh, I don't think we should get carried away with ourselves because I don't think Wales are the the barometer that we should be judging ourselves against at the moment. Potentially, yeah, if they had had a bounce with Gatlin, but it was clear they didn't. Um, but to be fair to Ireland, I mean. The way we carried, the way we cleaned, the, um, our low error rate, our discipline in that first 30 minutes, um, our power game, it, it was very impressive. Conor Murray, I thought, was excellent in terms of you know, when to run himself, but also what options to take. Um, and Because there was question marks for Ireland, obviously, Furlong being out, late change with Conor coming in. Um, we looked we looked in, in good, in root health. And... Um, would have got massive confidence from that, obviously getting the bonus point at the end. So, you know, no injuries really to uh, to worry us. Um, and it, it's positive, at least this weekend, perfect. Yeah. But considering as well, March, the disruption of the morning, you know, two injuries coming in a bit late in the day. Like I was walking around Cardiff and I spoke to a couple of Irish fans and there was a real sense of unease just those couple of hours before the match when it seemed like everything was kind of tipping against Ireland and this this great Gatland ambush seemed like it was it was staring us straight in the face. So to to start the way they did, I know you're saying let's not get carried away because Wales were quite poor, but it does it does reflect very well on the probably the mental strength and the attitude that the players have that they weren't going to be frazzled by anything, you know, any late inconveniences before the game. Yeah, and I'd love to you know Sean's opinion on this because obviously he was involved um, over the last number of years, but my sense from talking to some of the players is that the pressure or the, the hype of being number one in the world, the 
I suppose the hangover of past World Cups doesn't seem to be really in their heads. Um, I know they say all the right things, um, but I think they have a game plan that uh, excites them, um, that they constantly can make better. And um, look, at it's it's a small sample pool. It's one game, but uh, I, I wouldn't be overly... You know, even if we lose to France at the weekend or don't win a Six Nations, I don't think it'll be because of whatever Dave Nussifor said um, was a problem in Japan, was a psychological uh, trauma or... or Whatever you know, uh, no stress, uh, psychological uh, performance-related stress, but they seem to be in a, in a in a really good place physically, but also in terms of just that mental composure. Sean, uh, to, to you there, sorry, Bert, Bert, you were saying kind of in in comparison to previous years, do you, do you, do you think that they're probably not as not as burdened maybe by kind of late inconveniences, or they're happy to just kind of go with the flow a bit more? Well, I think a lot of it is stemming down from the messages. You can you hear Andy Farrell say that um, they want to be comfortable in chaos, I think, is it the new buzz phrase. <laughs> um, so once you see your coach kind of have that air of confidence about whether uh, you got guys coming in late, you know, stepping in for uh, over injuries or uh, late buses or whatever, whatever you have, that it's not, it's not going to affect the way the team performs. And I think that, stems down from the coaching staff um look i'm not saying look joe was such a perfectionist um with every little detail whether it was on match day or training prep week and maybe sometimes that air of when things weren't absolutely perfect did kind of seep down into the squad so i think the importance of the just the fact that the coaches have such trust in whoever's stepping in and then the messages from the camp in terms of the players are how enjoy enjoyable the environment is so um it seems to be that that kind of stuff has been left in the past, really. Um, and it's a new crop of players, largely, you know, in the last two to three years that Andy's brought in. So that whole switch as well has probably laid the foundations for a more relaxed uh, environment, um, an environment where they're prepared more to deal with late injuries, guys coming in and out. Yeah, and it, it's funny, Andy Farrell, like he has, he has spoken so much in the last few months about really, really embracing all those little inconveniences like, you know, Johnny Sexton pulling up injured before the Australia game, even dealing with adding extra matches to the tour in New Zealand or sticking on the A game, the, you know, the night before they played South Africa last year, just to to test them out and, and see how they cope when they're all a little bit stressed. But uh, I did wonder on Saturday afternoon when those injuries came in, would Andy Farrell have been going, Jesus, what sort of, what sort of bad juju have I brought on myself here with what I've been, what I've been wishing for? But one of the other things he, he spoke about last week in, in really great detail was how obsessed he is himself with studying how how great teams stay great. Like looking at the, the great Manchester United teams of down the years, and obviously he's a big Man City fan as well. He's talking about them. But you did have to think maybe Caelan Doris, Ireland are pushing for a fourth try late in the first half. Caelan Doris knocks on that ball and... Probably if, if they had gone and scored a try there, it probably would have been an absolute blowout even in the second half. It was hard to see Wales putting on much of a comeback. But that's the next step for them now, Birch, is to, when they have the foot on their th- on the, the throat of another team, to really, really be clinical and just force that down. Yeah, it is. and uh, But I think they kind of managed that because I don't think you're going to have an 80-minute performance against a Tier 1 team where you're totally dominant. But I, I actually thought the way we kind of got out of sync um, and 
and that was with Johnny on the field as well. So, which is, you know, which is important. He's only human as well. He, he you know, everything is not always perfect when he's on. Um, and then Ross Byrne came on and he was part of, I suppose, that change up, um, getting back into, into our shape, getting back, um, playing, playing, playing the ball in the right areas of the field, but keeping the ball as well. And we want to attack and shifting the point of contact. He, he played out the back at the right time and, we move Wales around again and eventually then got the bonus point. So I, I think that's what championship teams do is they, they just, um, when they get the opportunity, they're, they're, they're clinical. And I think he'd be really happy. And um, it's, it, it's very good for Ross Byrne as well, because I mean, Farrell made a statement by putting him on the bench because obviously um, it's probably Crowley game time and, and there's, there's really, um, but I think he's, Nail his colours to mass now to Ross Byrne. Ross Byrne is the number two. And for Ross Byrne to obviously against Australia he came on and kicked the penalty, but there he actually had a real meaningful part to play in in getting Ireland out of a little bit of a, a lull in, in in terms of their their form and going and getting a bonus point, which may be crucial at the end. So um I think it worked out um perfectly for for for, for everybody really, uh, because there's also you know that 25 minute block. Where our discipline went, um, where defensively we were soaking. Um, I mean, this week, you know, they're going to have to be better in those areas. If you give France those soft entry points um, to get their mall game going, um, or for Ramos or Jaminet, who maybe might come, might come in to kick goals from 50, you know, that's how you lose test matches. Yeah. And on, on Burn, actually, as well, like I know it was only 12 minutes he played in here, but he did actually offer. Brought a lot of bite into the attack, even just for those last 10 minutes. Like, got, got a, had an impactful last 12 minutes, I'd probably say. Whereas maybe in the past, in a lot of his caps, he's playing those, he was playing that length of time and games were done. There wasn't really a lot for him to do other than, than to just see things out. No, look, I think he, had to kind of back up what Bert said, he probably has solidified that number two spot. Um, combination of really, really good form this year with Leinster. Um, you know, um, I suppose getting that level of trust back in terms of what Andy Farrell is looking for with him in that environment. So um, came on, I thought his game management, as usual, was really, really good. I suppose in terms of what they looked for him to work on was his, I suppose, when he's getting the ball out the back of shape, attacking the line with pace, um, because his game management has always been his really, really strong point. So um, it's great. I'm a big fan of Ross. Um, and... Uh, he seems to have solidified that number two spot, but again, you know, there's going to be bigger challenges ahead and he might have to step in and in big games if Johnny pulls up or so there's, you know, bigger, bigger tests ahead in terms of him having to develop his game at the international level. He probably never seems to get the, the trust at international level, John, but like certainly from a Leinster point of view, it always seemed to be the case that if, if Johnny Sexton wasn't around or, or if he was just being rested, there was never really any issue of, of trust around putting Ross in for those big games. Like he always seemed pretty comfortable in those situations. What's yeah. what's what sort of a player is he confidence wise? I think it's more how he's very cool, calm, collected type customer. He, his knowledge of the game is outstanding. And that, I suppose that ties into how he's, I suppose in terms of his game management is, is top notch. Um, I suppose it's that air of, of, of coolness that, players see and they buy into so that they're confident as well um and he runs a game really really well especially when you're playing with a pack 
that's I suppose nine times out of ten are going to be getting your front football and that gives the opportunity of the ten to shine. So um, it's uh, like I said, he's slowly but surely over the last eighteen months um, through his form in Leinster and whatever Andy gave him to work on um, in the club has, I suppose, he's fought his way back into that into that Irish camp and he's on the bench and he'll probably go again this week, which is um, uh, you know a big uh, kudos to him. Yeah, and Birchie, he's a he's a nice example to hold up for any players who've kind of found themselves on the fringes in the last twelve months. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the, it's the beauty of it. Sometimes you don't get that second shot. Um, it's in vain, but I suppose he's very lucky in that he, when he like playing for Leinster, even if he never got back into the Irish squad, which obviously would have been his goal, there were still trophies to be to be sought after, and um, and he was getting regular game time there. He played, he came off the bench in the Champions Cup final in Marseille, etc. So, um, uh, it's yeah, but it is it is like. Things change quickly, whether through injury or form, and you know you got to be ready to take your chance. And and for him, it was coming off the bench against Australia and, and kicking that goal was the turning point. And then obviously since then he's got a real strong run of form games for Leinster because of Johnny's facial injury. And um, yeah, he's he's hammered home the fact that he deserves to be an international ten. In terms of individual performances at the weekend, um. I'm actually going to throw this over to you rather than throwing out names because there were a handful of really, really good performances out there. But Sean, if you were to to pick out a couple of people you want to you want to highlight for how well they played at the weekend, who are you who are you shining that line on? Um, I, I, well, in the pack anyway, I, I suppose there was there was a number of lads, but James Ryan for me is, has hit a real rich vein of form. I'm glad I'm glad, I'm glad you brought him up actually now because I I did have him on my list and I was a bit unhappy that he wasn't getting too much credit over the last few days because I think he's playing absolutely out of his skin in the last few months. Yeah, look, even just his... It's something that was, I think, got under his skin big time in terms of this physicality, lack of, um, I suppose, uh, persona that was going around. Um, I think he looks back to his best. You got to remember, this guy was, especially at Locke, broke into the Leinster team and Irish team at such a young age. Um, looks back back to his best there in terms of carrying in the tide. He took, leading up to Caelan, Doris's try, beautiful inside ball off Johnny, two or three Welsh guys, leg leg drive to take him down. Um, his work in the line out, um, you know, so he's been outstanding and he seems to have got back to that form of uh, 2018, 2019. So, and then Caelan Doris for me, um, he's like, he's getting a lot of, a lot of praise at the moment and I think it's thoroughly deserved. He's been, just outstanding, um, massive fulcrum for that team, carrying, breakdown work, his acceleration into contact, his hands, he just has it all. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit for this guy going forward over the next Six Nations and into the World Cup if he keeps, hopefully stays fit. Mm. Birch, I, I'll bring Doris up again in a second, but just to go to go back on Ryan and Sean was saying how well he's playing at the moment. In terms of the line-out stuff as well, this has been something now for the last few months where he's producing big moments, not just the kind of little moments consistently, but he's producing the big moments. South Africa, that line out right before halftime, Ireland defending their own 22 and he steals it. A couple of weeks later, he had a massive steal late on in the game against Australia. A few weeks ago against Racing 92 for Leinster at the Aviva Stadium as well. When Leinster were under a lot of pressure in the first half, he produced a massive line out steal. And then at the weekend, that one 15 minutes from time, which really killed the little bit of momentum Wales had when they got down into the Ireland 22 again. And 
I, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned him over the last couple of months and we've mentioned those line-out steals. And the big thing that always comes up is obviously their big risk-reward plays. You know, your your timing, when you're going to go from. You're not always competing, but you're waiting for that moment to go from. But crucially, it seems that more often than not, he's picking the right moment to to go for them and he's and he's getting those decisions correct. Yeah, and he's doing it with, with big conviction. And look, at the, I, I think... The, the big one that he that he stole cleanly um, that was probably easy enough because uh, Wales had brought three backs into the front of the lineout and then <laughs> they actually didn't really have much much movement. It was a pretty they threw the first they threw the first one to, to George North, which nearly yeah. worked, but the second one was set up for him. But I look back at it, at it yesterday and and um, he seems to be not really worried about what the the lineout what, what's happening in the lineout. He's he's literally going off the throw and. Ken Owens has a has a quite a slow throw. I, I had one myself, so I know all about it. So, uh, but the ball the ball isn't really snappy through the air. And when you come up against a hooker who who throws like that, even if you're beaten and you don't give up on it, and your lifters you know stay with you, you can sometimes actually get back and and, and disrupt it. So, um, I think yeah, but what he's doing is he's he's backing himself and he he's just taking a, a spot in the line out and it sounds so ridiculously simple, but he's just literally staying, staying uh, after that ball to, to the very end. And when, when you can get one, he, he, he disrupted one on the other side and uh, was tapped back on the west side. So it wasn't a clean turnover, but they're crucial. You know what I mean? Uh, because we know how hard it is to defend the mall or the play after that. Um, and if you can disrupt the ball in the air, it, it, it's massive. But I, I agree with Sean. I think uh, like he, he's not a massive man. So we love the Taufanias, the the Willemses, the 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 Estebets. Um, but pound for pound he punches um very hard and um he's probably I'm not saying he's injury free because you really are if you if you play like him, but he's probably his injuries aren't hampering him being able to do what he wants. And uh, yeah, he's, he's become a key man, a key man for us, you know, because um, like, it's not easy in their second round. It's lots of competition, um, but himself and Ty Byrne, I think um, you, you couldn't question their selection at the moment. I'm talking to two hookers now, actually. So I might even just hone in on the, the line out, the throwing side of things on, on both sides of the ball. So if we're talking there about James Ryan's developing a habit of, you know, making the right reads and getting up and making crucial steals. We've seen Peter Romani do it down the years as well. If you're if you're the opposition hooker coming in for a crucial line out in the 22, or are those things playing on your mind if the opposition have a, you know, a notorious line out pincher? Yeah, well, <laughs> do you want me to go take this part? <laughs> well, so I just, I just hung myself, so you work away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is the thing, I suppose, leading up to games. Look, you you, you said, Peter Mann, you're hoping that your line-out caller has given you an option where, I suppose, Pete is pretty... It's all about work you do during the week, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of if you know you're coming up against a Peter Mann or a Ty Byrne, James Ryan, you, you, you pick up on whatever nuances they have, whether they're looking at the hooker, do they, do they bite early? Are you trying to beat them with dummy movement and get in behind them? So you're hoping that the when the loose head props giving you the line-out call that you're... Uh, your the right call has been called but again look it does it's in your it's 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 no doubt it's going to be in your head that you're coming up against a serious line out operator but you're hoping that you've got the work done in the week in terms of your your options your spotters that um you've a plan put in place but um again going back to that line out i suppose back to the james ryan 
uh, piece where Wales had that uh, with the three backs in. They just had two pods deep. So our Irish lads just sat on those two pods, left the backs at the front. You know, so it was an easy, easy read. But again, I think Paul O'Connell and, and Robin McBride are giving, they're giving James Ryan the option of going up. They're giving him, they're not saying let's just stay down and be conservative. You know, they're picking their moments well, like you, you gave countless examples of different games where I think it's coming from the coaches as well. You know, I think the work Paul O'Connell has done with James Ryan is definitely, whether it's around the rock or the line out, um, has, you can see it, which is, which is, you know, the best aspect of, of how you see the coaching coming through with the lads. And then the flip side is, and I'm wary, I'm potentially probably putting an absolute curse on my head of this weekend. The line out on Saturday functioned really, really well. You've spoke. You've definitely mentioned uh, Birch over the last few weeks as well, Dan Sheehan. There was one of the Champions Cup games. Was it there was like twenty six or twenty seven out of twenty seven off the line? And it was another fifteen out of fifteen at the weekend. And just in general play, I mean, Dan Sheehan has just been out of his skin lately. Yeah, look at um, he's like Sean around the pitch, uh, and um, he's he's phenomenal. Like it's scary how good he can be. I think um, like his set piece is is good. At, I was start. I wasn't sure about the scrummaging, but um, hasn't haven't seen anything to say that's not it's not more than adequate. Um, he just seems to love playing the game. You know, he's played a lot of minutes this year for for Leinster, um, and he's he's up there. He's probably for me. He's the best hooker in the Six Nations um, this year, and I love Marsha, but I think um, I think Sheen has got a little bit more to him um, and more dynamic, uh, more mobile. Um, yeah, but I think he's thrown very well. I think Herring's a good thrower, obviously, and he's he, he was on the bench. Um, but I do think our line out at the moment is easy to throw to, um, because of our movement, because of our calling, uh, because of our lifting, because of the threat we are away from the line out. Mm-hmm. Um, so teams are are nearly afraid to overcommit to challenge they have to, it. They have to stay honest, basically. Yeah, defenses, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I think you're, you're, you're you know, there's just low risk, low chance of you winning it. So um you don't they don't go after it as hard as well and that's that's the ideal scenario for 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 any hooker but um no sheen is i think sheen's ridiculously good to be honest i i i i think just every week he just does something that you know makes me go wow that fella's class is he the sean is he the most dynamic hook, hooker since sean cronin uh, i don't know i think he's about four or five inches on me and about 10 kilos so uh oh no look he's been He's been outstanding. Um, I suppose he really took control of that jersey on the New Zealand tour and um, hasn't looked back, you know, benefited from Ronan. Kelleher being uh, picking up uh, injuries here and there. But um, like Bernard said, there is, you know, just moments in every game where you're like, wow, even the one towards the back end of the game where he got the ball and accelerated, just about 70 minutes gone. Or, yeah. you know, and I was like, I was like, how does he still have that in the legs, you know? So, very fit, very fit, obviously, great feet, strong, and his throne is, he's a real, I, I don't know whether it's because he's t- his levers, but like the ball, he's a beautiful throw, very zippy through the air, um, so he's been, he's been outstanding, so it's, uh, look, if Rona can get back fit, it's going to be a great one-two combo to have, whatever way it is, but like I was saying, Dan is, is the man in control at the moment, for sure, and um uh, you obviously have Rob there as well, pushing them all. So pretty well stocked at the hooker position. Yeah, and it was funny you said that chance he got maybe about 10 minutes to go. Andy Farrell mentioned that after the game as well. And he was saying it's it's ridiculous in and of itself that when Sheehan got the ball, 
that far out wide, probably just outside the 22, Farrell was saying he thought he might actually go all the way here, which is just a, a kind of ludicrous idea to be thinking your hooker when he gets the ball that far out might actually go all the way and do it. Um, yeah, and just on that, there was another, uh, earlier in the game, Wales took a cross-field kick to Ken Owen, who, who, like, who is a dynamic hooker in itself, in space. And I was just like, oh, no. Because <laughs> I didn't know who was over there. Um, I just followed the ball on, on the camera. And it was, I think he'd one-on-one with Mac Hansen. And he got, oh, yeah, yeah. He got smashed, you know what I mean? Uh, whereas if, if Sheen gets that, it's literally like a winger getting it. Ken, Ken, Ken is my age now, Birch. Is I don't know, I know. He was long gone, I think. He, he was, he was 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, very quickly on Wales, before I bring in France, uh, are Wales a potential wooden spoon candidate already? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think if they go, if it goes badly for them this week, and then they're going to Rome goes, as well, they're going to Rome. Yeah, yeah, he, there's no, I don't know if it's going to be a quick fix. Unless Gatland, Gatland gets the best out of that, t- uh, those old fellas again quickly, or he's going to have to cut them loose, and then you have this whole challenge of the youngsters getting experience in the Six Nations and um, yeah, and, and like it's worrying. So Alan Jones originally was ruled out because of a HIA failure and out of said he's passed it. Um, you know, Corey Hill is in Japan. Gatlin wants to bring him back, but he can't. Uh, Will Rollins is injured and going for the racing. I mean, the depth isn't really there as we know from, from watching the regions play in the URC, but um, I think it could go pear-shaped for Wales pretty quickly. Yeah. We're going to move on to France now. Uh, so, Sean, which which of the two camps are you in? Are you in France got out of jail against Italy and Ireland are going to punish them for all that sloppiness? Or France had an off day in Rome, but they've got the dirty diesel out of the system and they're going to be a different beast at the weekend? Oh, I'd have to probably sway to the, the second one. Um, there's just too much quality there in that squad. Um to be saying that they can't get things right this weekend. Um, they're missing a couple of key players as well. Dante being a big one. Hmm. You know, Fafana's a, a good player, but he just gets them, especially off set-piece starters, over the game line, whether it's scrum or line-out, and then they build their game off that, whether it's working you in close with big four runners or DuPont trying to pick holes and then getting offloads. So he's a big player. Um, no, look, I think I'd definitely be that they're going to be a huge test this week, especially the... You know, based on the fact that we're going to be down. Look, Finley, I thought Finley did really, really well last weekend. But again, like myself and Birch have said, Wales is not France. So um, massive challenge there in the scrum, in the tight up front. So look, I still I still think we'll get the job done. I still I think the team has built a really hard team to, to, to break down in the Aviva. So uh, I think we'll have around the pitch too much quality, but it's going to be a far, far tougher task than than it was at the weekend. Yeah, Birch, I'm going off the kind of early hints you gave right at the start of the pod, but I get the feeling you're expecting a a very, very different French team coming up to, well, maybe not personnel-wise, but just in terms of attitude and general play, a very, very different side coming to Dublin this week. Yeah, I am. I think they'll... It's easy for them to kind of build um, this into, you know... Uh, a bit of a cause for them. They're the Grand Slam champions. Ireland are going to be favourites. They feel it should be number one in the world. Ireland are number one in the world, technically, on the rankings. Um, they're 14 games unbeaten yet. You know, they maybe, they, they'll twist it that they're not getting respect. Um, they deserve poor performance against Italy. Sean Edwards will be, will be furious with them. You know, it's going to be 
it's a challenge for them. Like, like this sounds bad, but they would have been confident enough they were going to win against Italy. And and you know, at the end of the championship, when they look, if they if they win it, they're going to you know people are going to say, oh, well, there's five points you got against Italy. So it wasn't really a, a big um, a big drama in the end. Um, I do think though some of the players look a little bit fatigued, um, and, and I I thought that they particularly, you know, Dupont into Mac. Um, weren't at their best for Toulouse going into this competition but those type of players you know big occasion um, must win game they can they, they can turn it on and uh, I think they'll be significantly better but I also think we're better I think we're better than we were last year and, and we ran them quite close last year without Sexton um, away in Paris so and I think we're just we're just a little bit more detailed in them, um, but also have a nice balance of, of X Factor and, and players who can make things happen. So I, I think we'll get a job done. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk about Tyke Furlong missing clearly a massive blow for Ireland. And we mentioned Finley Bealham obviously a couple of minutes ago, did brilliantly well against Wales. But is the would the question marks be on the other side of the scrum this weekend where Andrew Porter? is going up against Weenie Antonio, who we struggled against in the past, and you've Paul Valencia in behind him as well. It's it's an area where Ireland really, really struggled in, in Paris last year. And has has Andrew Porter answered enough of those questions around the scrum? Uh, I Look, I think he has. I think there's a body of work there over the last couple of years to prove that he has. It's going to be... It's going to be a massive... Uh, challenge across the board for our eight but I, I liked what we did last weekend we seemed to and again look it's, it's obviously a different challenge going up against a massive French pack but I thought we closed the space really well against Wales kind of cramped them up on the hit I think we'll have to do something similar uh, be very smart on our own ball um, and then have a plan I suppose in terms of when, they, when, when it's their ball but look I think Port's Sometimes he does kick his hips out a small bit, but like the guy is so strong. I think they just need to work together as a unit. John Fogarty will get them really prepped for the challenge this week and as working as an eight, not just as a front three. So it's it's going to be a big challenge for 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 Ports, for Finley, for Dan if he's in the middle as well. So um, you know, they're 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 massive men. Willem so I, I don't know will they bring Tofanua back into the second row to add extra beef instead of Flamont. So, you know, they have these options as well to, to make that scrum even even beefier. How do you see that area, Birch? Yeah, he, he tends to he, he tends to like being able to replace Williamson with another, as you say, monster um, at, at the 55-minute mark. I think the worry for them is that Paul Paul hasn't got back to where he was. No. Uh, no, he, he's only come back from an injury, but it's He's played two or three games for Montpellier and against Montpellier. He wasn't and against Italy, he wasn't as good as he was last year. And he is a key man for them. Um so I their scrum actually was under a bit of pressure against Italy. Um, but they will see an Irish scrum without Furlong as something that they want to attack. So they may they may go for two two tractors that they would say in France, um, in Taufania and Willemse, but that would obviously take from their line out a little bit and take from their bench impact. Um so no, I think they'll go with with Philipsa and um Flam uh, uh, was was um was actually decent as well. So and they've got some good back jumping back rows with Livion and Aldrit. So um but I think they'll stick with Taufania coming on off the bench. In general, playing against the you know Ireland have had their difficulties in the past playing against teams that have the the size advantage and the power advantage. But Sean, 
is does the win against South Africa has that maybe provided a level of reassurance to the team that when they are up against a, a, a squad that has a a big size advantage or a power advantage that they can work their way around it. Well, I think even think, thinking back to that game, you had, I just think the level of detail around defending them all was was top class that day. So that shut down a massive area of attack that the South Africans had. Uh, going back to the, the game last year in Paris where they really attacked our exit ruck. Um, I think they got one of their tries off that. That'll be an area where Ireland will take some key learnings about, especially when they're exiting, maybe throwing one or two more bodies into the breakdown. Um and then getting our kicking strategy right from that. So there's a few areas where maybe Ireland are going to send a couple, maybe one more body into a certain breakdown off the edges to try and counteract that, I suppose, real threat at the rock in terms of the barge impact that, they, that France could have. But again, it's about getting the plan detailed during the week and, and, and trying to put that plan into place at the weekend. And I'm sure the lads are between Paul and, and the coaching staff for putting that in place to try and have it right for Saturday. On on Italy's performance then against against France to move it on, it, they, they did so many brilliant things and so many difficult things brilliantly. But what killed them ultimately was probably an inability to do the simple things like exiting well, uh, just making the right decisions when they were under pressure. You know, Flamand's try was a a charge down inside the first couple of minutes off a box kick. They almost conceded another try a couple of minutes later when they made a hames of an exit. It was called back for a for a knock-on. But ultimately, the heads aren't dropping as they probably have been with Italy in previous years. And they gave, they gave France a really good run in the end. But if they can just sort out a lot of those basics, there's there's the makings of a really, really good team there. No, for sure. And, and Benetton... Um are you know are, are rejuvenated again obviously three or four years ago they were playing some great stuff and then they had a um a bit of a dip um and you know Crowley now obviously has gone to Italy and like just getting that win the Six Nations away in Wales last year was was massive obviously beating us, uh, Australia but now I think the thing for them is to be consistent in the Six Nations we have in the past seen them competitive round one round two and by the end, you know, just be cannon fodder for teams who want to get bonus points. So um, I don't think we can we can rest assured that they're they're back yet. But um, you know, certainly the signs are that they have uh, the capabilities to be be more than um, you know more than competent and and um, more than dangerous for for any team. With obviously that hope that they are a team who can start get wins uh, regularly in the in the Six Nations, and they have some. Their back rows outstanding, and obviously, you know, Capuso is is electric. He's he's a player you just want to see get his hands on the ball. Scored a great try again at the weekend. They have a ten coming back, as I said, Garbisi, mm. but they need a they need a nine. Um, but Birch, then the next question: If they can sort out some of those more simple things, do you give them a chance this weekend against England at Twickenham? No, I, I don't think so. I I, I think they'll actually struggle against a team like England who. Who will be even more pragmatic? Um, you know, Bortwick isn't going to. Bortwick's going to probably double down on, on what he wants, and, and it's the Leicester model. You know, data driven. Um, I think because England would kick so much, I don't think Italy or anywhere they look at have individuals, but I don't think they're anywhere near as advanced in in that counter attack um, and phase attack game as as Scotland are. To be fair, that's 
that's what Gregor Townsend has been trying to get out of Scotland for whatever six seven years. So um, I think England will be able to um, you know suffocate them and 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 not not give them the some of the opportunities that Fran- that France did um, to, to stay in the game. With, obviously, France's discipline was so poor. Mm-hmm. Italy had countless opportunities to to get field position. You go along with that, Sean. Yeah, yeah, I would. And uh, I, quite a funny moment from the game between England and Scotland. Uh, just touching on Birch, what he said about England being even more pragmatic. When there was kick tennis going on between Scotland and England, and Haskell Collins got the ball, and you could see he didn't, you know, he didn't want to kick the ball, and he is in two minds, and he tried to run it and got turned over. I don't know whether Scotland actually scored off it at the end, but. I think that'll be doubled down on this week by Bortwick about staying to the system. You, you know, see the way Leicester played over the last couple of years, very pragmatic, maybe will not attack inside their own half, box kick, try and get possession back. Um, so, look, no, I wouldn't give. I think I think England will grind them down this weekend. They're trying to bounce back from a loss at home as well. So, um it, it won't be Italy's weekend this weekend. But I definitely see, if they can get their exit strategy better, uh, a nine, and with Garbisi coming back, look, they will be stronger, but it's like Bert said, will they pitter out towards the end of the competition? It's, it's hard to know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. On England and Scotland then, so Bert, kind of touched on it there earlier on, but if you're looking at England, an enormous amount of possession through the match. They scored three, three tries granted, but the flip side is they forced Scotland to make 227 tackles, but Scotland only conceded nine penalties. Is that is that absolutely world-class defence, or is that an attack that is just not really stretching teams or making them, you know, making them have to make big decisions? Yeah, look, I, I think it's the, it's, it's the attack not being um, uh, fluid or dangerous. Um, and I, I think the whole Marcus Smith... Own Farrell, 10 12 axis is going to come under more scrutiny this week. And uh, they actually now have had a lot of time together. Um, yeah. And obviously, Nick Evans being brought in from Harlequins to be the attack coach led you to believe that they were going to, you know, double down on Marcus Smith. But realistically, if you're going to play such a kick heavy game, um, such a, t- uh, a territorial game, you're probably better off having George Ford um, or, or Owen Farrell being your 10. To be honest, and that's that's going to be interesting how that's um, how that develops because Marcus Smith is a is a great talent, but you probably have to have a complete change of philosophy as a team, and uh, never mind just around you know kicking off first phase or second phase. So uh, that's going to be a challenge for for Bortwick, um, and I, I think they have some good individuals for sure, but together, um, you know, and I think Bortwick said, "Oh, we're going to fix our our, our set piece." You know, we're going to fix our kicking game, we're going to fix our defence, and then we fix our attack. Um, but yeah, at the moment, there's no point having all that possession if you're if you're just carrying off one out runners and um, there's no ball movement because any good defence will be able to shut that down. Yeah, I, I saw it mentioned Marcus Smith, for example, Sean had 14 carries during the game, and an enormous amount of those were him just stepping into blind alleys because the options weren't there and there just doesn't seem to be the the same connect or the same I suppose the same way of going about things as, as he has with Harlequins where he has someone like Andre Esterhazen outside of him who can do an enormous amount of the absolutely filthy grunt work that can allow Smith for example to 
to play with that bit more freedom and that bit more space. Yeah, I, I think the the act the combination of um, Smith and Farrell worked quite well off, off set piece play because they knew where they were going for the first two to three phases. And but after that, they seemed to lose their way big time. Uh, whether one guy was would say Farrell was caught in a rock and then Smith stepped up and then Farrell was coming out and they just didn't it didn't seem to be that fluid. So in a phase from a phase play point of view, I thought it didn't work. Um, there is calls for possibly. Slade to come back in, um, and uh, but it will come under more scrutiny as the weeks go on. You know, there might be a bounce back this week, obviously, with Italy at home, and things might run a bit smoother. But um, it's a big call because, like I touched on there a couple of minutes ago, with Bortwick coming in, bringing in his style of play, a bit more pragmatic, based around the kicking game, pressure, maul. I thought the We've obviously brought in Nick Evans as well. I thought they went to Weybirch. I don't know if you agree from their mall at the weekend. Mm. Did a lot of breakout plays. Didn't really wear the, the Scots down in terms of trying to take their legs in the mall. And um, But again, going back to your fact, I, it was a bit of world-class defence as well. To have that many tackles without breaking the 10 penalty mark, I thought was outstanding as well from Scotland. But um, was a bit taken aback with the approach of Bortwick, considering I watched a lot of Leicester play this year, about how they approach the game from a, an attacking point of view. Well, let's give um, let's give Scotland our dues because I think we've barely actually mentioned them so far. First of all, the the two Vandermeer tries because his two tries in the game, they in a way they were both as good as each other, but they were remarkably different. The first one obviously was, you know, him just pouncing on loose ball, poor kick chase and splitting England open with one of the greatest individual tries we've ever seen in the competition. And then the other side of it was when things were really tight and really close, the the winning score of just really, really good tight rugby, everyone executing their jobs, the the tip on pass from from uh, from Richie Gray to eventually put Van der Merwe out in the corner and he still had so much work to do there. But two absolutely fantastic tries um, might talk us through through them individually. The first one, though, obviously, Sean, it was just a it was just a moment of absolute brilliance to light up a game. It was, and like you said, it's it's one of the best tries I've seen at any level. Mm. Um, I, I really, it was his the last bit of play where he switched the ball from. I'm not too sure which way to get defend on right that to left. one. Right to left was it? Yeah. yeah. So you know, to do that is just. It's just sheer instinct and to get his fend on Don Brandt to finish. But um, you know, a lot of people saying it was poor defence. I've tried to tackle Duhan van der Merwe a couple of times playing against him and he's a hard man to put down. Uh, so it was, it was outstanding. And um, like you said, the second try as well, 70-odd minutes gone, Richie Gray, beautiful, quick, slick hands to, to Fagerson, who didn't take too much out of the ball either, just gave it straight to him and said, look, you do what you do. And if I manage to get a pass back on the inside, great. But didn't take too much out of the ball, put him away. Um, and uh, he's a world class finisher, you know. Um, so no, like you said, we have to give serious pats in the back to, to Scotland. Um, the penalty count uh, under ten, um, the tackle count, the, the 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 playing coast to coast at times, great individual moments as well. So it was a big big win for them, big statement. Birch, from a from a coach's point of view. Would, would you have probably got a little bit more satisfaction out of that second try where you had so many people executing a job absolutely brilliantly or still do you just sit back and marvel at that 
at that. Yeah, first look, I think I think they were both brilliant. I think for the first one, obviously, it's incredible by by Van der Mer, but there's also, you know, there's also obviously the 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 plan. So you know, he's a left, uh, he's all the way across, nearly on the right wing. So they're working, they're working. Once they see that box get coming, to be able to go back at him, there's there's a nice little subtle block to open up the the, the hole for him and off that front line, you know, where just tur- one of the one of the fellas running kick that score right just turns his shoulders at the right moment and and that just blocks a, an English defender. And then obviously when he gets behind him, he's he's ridiculously good. And then the second one is, is just I think it's just a lot of moving parts. Everyone known, you know, known their their shape their role in the shape, being able to attack the parts of the field that aren't well defended. And um, you know, the Richie Gay pass. I mean he's someone I thought had, had dropped off. You know what I mean? He he was obviously a phenomenal mm. um, player for Scotland and went to France. Didn't really, you know, pull up trees in France, to be fair, and then lost his place with, with Scotland. But, you know, he's come back now and um, he was brilliant. He was brilliant uh, on, on Saturday. And um, Scotland have done this before against England particularly and, and failed to back it up. And it'll be interesting. Yeah. They're saying all the right things this week. They brought in a, a mental skills coach guy called Aaron Walsh, um, from the Chiefs, um, and you know, hopefully, I'm sure that that Gregor feels it was part of that. The, the, you know, the mental side of it getting carried away. And if you remember, he lost last year in, in Cardiff on the having won a Calcutta Cup game in. in big scalp. And now they face a car, a Welsh team who again looked there for the taking, but last year um, they didn't do it. So I guess they can be Wales, but they, like they have a fifteen who are who individually, you know, um, are Six Nations quality players. Um, you can question some of their depth, but I look. I don't know. I need to see them against Wales. Back it up before I would jump on the high train. And that's it, exactly, Sean, isn't it? Like this is, you know, they've won what, four or five meetings against England and a few of those in the opening round as well. And last year in particular, just how badly they they just couldn't back it up. An amazing statistic. They haven't won the opening two games of a five or six nations championship since 1996. Like That's an incredibly long time. Like, t- you're talking 26, 27 years since they started win-win in the championship, which is incredible. Um, But I did think it was... It was interesting to see on all the podcasts I've listened to or all the, the footage I've seen after the match, any one of the players interviewed, the fir- pretty much the first thing that they've been saying was, oh, we didn't actually play that well today. We made a, we made a lot of mistakes. We didn't have much of the ball. Uh, we were quite disappointed with a lot of things. I think 12 months ago, the reactions to that win that they had at Murrayfield, let alone at Twickenham, would have been a lot different. Yeah, well, I think it's probably backed up by the fact that they've have they won what is it, the last four Calcutta Cups or four or five I'm yeah three in a row well, and four or five. If, if so that's probably developed a, a certain mindset where they've they've moved on from that being you know a couple of years ago you had Greg Laidlaw with the tie over the head out in the nightclub afterwards <laughs> because it's, it didn't come round that often before. Yeah. So um, probably has been a shift in mindset and. Was it? It was two years ago that they they beat England and then lost to Wales at home, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. They had these the same two fixtures, so it's like it's like Bert said. I'm obviously massively looking forward to the French game, but it's that Scotland game at home to Wales is another big big game. I'm looking forward to to see if they can back it up and what 
sort of performance they can put in under a bit of you know pressure, big win away from home, coming back to Murrayfield and going into that break week where you know possibly they could be top of the top of the 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 the, the competition on the break week. So um, we'll see how to deal with that different sort of pressure playing at home after a big win. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. We're pretty much completely out of time, lads. I had been hoping to mention the under twenties who are had a you know really exciting win against Car- against Wales in Colman Bay on on Friday night and playing France this Friday as well at Musgrave Park. But we will park it there. That game will be live on on RT two and RT player on Friday night Ireland and France in the under twenty six nations. But last thing I want to get from you fellas predictions for this weekend. So we have. Ireland, France, Scotland, Wales, and then England against Italy on Sunday. What are the who are the three winners this weekend? Who wants to go first? I go first. Uh, uh, Ireland, Scotland, England. Three home wins. Sean, what about you? I'm going to row in behind Birch there. I'll, I'll, I'll go with, uh, I think Scotland will get it done at home against Wales. And then the other two, I, I, I think Ireland will get it done as well. And England will be much improved on, on Sunday. Very good. So Ireland, France, that's 2.15 at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon, live on RT2 and RT Player. And also England, Italy then on Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. live on RT2 and RT Player. And you've got coverage of Ireland, France on RT Radio 1 as well. But lads, Thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy the games of the weekend. Birch, we'll see you on our screens on, on Friday and Saturday. And Sean, enjoy the match with the kids on Saturday at the Aviva. I will, if I make it out alive, hopefully. <laughs>